Asalaamu Alaikum and welcome to Serving Mankind with Humanity First. Uh, we're going to have a nice afternoon session here, running through uh, some of the, a uh, look back at 2022 and 2023 works that uh, Humanity First will be doing. I'm joined this afternoon by uh, Fazal Ahmad, representing Humanity First International, Azza Sadiq, Dr. Azza Sadiq from, uh, from, the, from the UK, and Dr. Fazan Ahmad from the, from the US of A, who's, who's come all the way over here. So we, we've been recording this in, uh, in the depths of Hampshire and a very rainy afternoon. So, so gents, we're going to look at some African countries where we've uh, been recently. Dr. Fazan, you were recently in Ghana. Bring some sunshine into our wet <laughs> afternoon. And, uh, what, what was your experience... Uh, uh, and because you spent a, a considerable amount of time in Ghana in the past, so you know how's that? How's the project been building? And uh, tell us some of your experiences there. Thank you so much, and thanks to the Voice of Islam for giving us the opportunity to showcase some of the work of Humanity First USA. I'm coming. I do bring greetings from Ghana, having been coming straight from there this past week. I was leading a team of 15 individuals uh, who were doing training in laparoscopy as well as CPR. Um, as well as ultrasound. So a really wonderful uh, experience. Again, we work under, Ghana is a humanity first country under the supervision of, of uh, the United Kingdom. So I'm actually here with my boss in this context, <laughs> Dr. Uzzer, who's, uh, who's the country it's director. I'm of delighted Ghana. to see such <laughs> a harmony between uh, some of the countries. There's, there's this thing in Islam, you know, you should compete in things that are good. Uh, but sometimes competition, I think w the, the working together is a, a delightful element. So, uh, you wonderful. Know. Thank you for having me. Also, I also represent the Ambient Muslim Medical Association USA, so as its president. So I would be remiss my, if I did not mention that. <laughs> Quite right, too. Well, I, as uh, Dr. You're a UK equivalent, uh, Dr. Manover is, uh, is the UK, and I know he's a trustee of Humanity First. So I give a shout out to our brother in Huddersfield there. I hope, of that, uh, hope he's well. Thank you. I mean, we are um, a volunteer organisation, uh, and one of the things about Humanity First is uh, our bang for our buck is incredible. Uh, I think a lot of um, volunteer organisations really struggle. Um, because they spend the first hundred days um, receiving income paying wages. And so I think that, uh, do you find that, that um, some of your colleagues in the US are like, um, they are doing this work for free, but then there are others that are getting paid uh, income. Do you see that as a, as a benefit of uh, Humanity First? Yeah, that's a, tr a tremendous differentiator of Humanity First, that all the physicians, nurses, healthcare pro uh, professionals who come to our trips, they self-fund the trip. And yes, we get some in-country support from Humanity First International and Humanity First USA, but the trip is by and large funded on its own by the providers. Mm. And, and even so, the, the work that is done, I mean, if you were to count the hours, even if you, even if you took, took it down to the minimum wage, there's an, an amazing amount of volunteer. I mean, Speaking to uh, Dr. Azadik from, so, so I know that you also run the the food bank in Warsaw. I think you're very good at monetizing or 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 or, cap, or, uh, or counting the hours, the volunteer hours that's worked. I think it's yeah. important. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, um, and can, can I just say um, I'm not uh, Dr. Fasansab's boss. In, in any way. <laughs> let's uh, get that straight. Come on, let's sort this out. Are, we are colleagues, and we work collaboratively, oh. and we will, God willing, in the future as well. Um, so yes, it's something I'm very keen on because I think as you've touched on, uh, pretty much all the work of Humanity First is volunteer work. So we have professionals and, and, and indeed non-professionals, people from all walks of life volunteering at, at different levels. And we see that uh, in the food bank. Uh, people from every walk of life come through to volunteer for our food bank um, and you know give freely of their time. And, and I do like to do that because because in many other organisations similar to ours, people are paid for what they do. Mm -hmm. So it's it's important for us to have an an idea, a sort of estimate of of the amount of man hours and uh, that that get put in uh, as volunteers and what that equates to yeah. financially. It's funny actually. Uh, I know. Uh, a shout out to dear Pfizer, who works at Voice of Islam, uh, doing this sort of social media thing. We often joke about uh, the Twitter for Voice of Islam, the Twitter team. If you were to go to the market and pay, you know, forty-five thousand pounds for this person, fifty thousand pounds for this person. There's, you know, the Twitter police uh, for the, uh, you know, the Twitter uh, arrangement for Voice of Islam, for example. 
that's a hundred thousand dollars or hundred thousand pounds, you know, salaries. So, and I look around the table at some very, you know, monetary, monetarily well uh, positioned. I mean, Fuzzle, you, you know, you've you actually work in that charity sector, so you must see firsthand uh, other organisations that are having to pay, you know, six figure salaries for for their board members. Yeah, um, I, I mean, the question you were asking earlier, I can give you a, a case in point: Ukraine. So last year after the Ukraine conflict started, we were running a setup at Medica on the border between Poland and Ukraine. And we had streams of Ukrainian refugees coming through. So having done an assessment, we had a medical setup there. Largely it was primary care. Uh, there weren't many trauma cases, but it was primary care for w women who were coming through. Uh, many of them were pre-existing conditions who needed mm. looking after. We had food that we were providing for uh, and we had medication and all kinds of other stuff people are asking what percentage of our donation is actually being used for real stuff in Ukraine well the answer was 600 percent because <laughs> because for every pound every dollar every euro that you donated we were delivering six pounds dollars euros of aid how are we doing that we weren't paying salaries yeah. for the doctors. In many cases, people were paying their own way to get out there. Yeah. We were getting donated medication through the United Nations. We were getting donated equipment. We were getting, even for the food that we were uh, providing, uh, when local, when the Polish saw what we were doing and the spirit with which we were doing it, they were donating. Mm. So actually, a lot of the money we would have spent came as donations and so literally that's one case in point but it's the same when you know they were talking about medical training missions that these two esteemed gentlemen are involved in but we do have staff so for example our hospital in Guatemala we have 98 Guatemalan staff there but our model is always sustainable mm. so to the extent that for example in Guatemala the hospital was profitable should we say within a year and from the income that we are generating, all of that, we're not profit-making organization, yeah. is going to going sustain. So for example, there are thousands of patients in Guatemala who've received subsidized or free care now through the income we've generated. Mm. We're now investing in the next stage of the hospital. So we're very blessed to, to be in an organization where we're actually not worried about the funds. The funds come. Yeah. And what, what we are famous for is the efficiency with which we use the funds is second to none. I think also, I think my point maybe is that uh, our boards, look at our board, when I, when the boards of all the countries, you know, the Germany, the, the Canada, the USA and the UK, that around that board table, there are no paid staff. Mm -hmm. I think that's one key difference. I appreciate the Guatemala, you know, we are paid staff for, because but that they're is- They're in low and middle income countries, correct. which is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and in fact, that's a local organisation, you know, doing their their local work, and I think we have um, some small staff in some of the African countries, yes. as, as, as I understand it, you know. But uh, I, I, that's one element, and I think it's a great sales point of humanity first. Our our, our, uh, our bang for our buck. I, I hadn't really thought about the, the, the times, but uh, you know, I, was, I do. I love that. I think that's a, that, that, that that's a, that's a great one. This, this year, if we look back at, um, it's a 2022-23 sort of uh, look back from last Jolsa where we, uh, we we sat and we had Dr. Nori here from uh, the Heart Institution and, and, and talked a little about his, his thing. What your field experience, where, where have you travelled this year? And So yes, uh, back to Ghana again. So we had a couple of trips to Ghana and um, we are concentrating our efforts where the local teams want us to. So the local teams want us to concentrate our efforts in the northern part of the country. A little town called Wa, we work in a municipal hospital there. Um, and so we, we liaise with the local clinicians to try and determine what are the areas, what are the clinical areas they want us to concentrate on? What are the areas of great, greatest need? And, and almost um, entirely in, in, and this is applicable to most parts of Africa, I'm sure, it's um, pediatrics, that's childcare, and because of pediatric mortality and morbidity, mm. primarily through uh, malnourishment and infectious diseases, um, and also maternal mortality. Um, so my concentration has been on getting pediatricians and obstet uh, obstetricians and gynecologists out there 
to try and um, educate the local clinicians to better look after their uh, their uh, their patients, and there are immense challenges when we get out there as I'm sure Dr. Fazan Saab knows that um, you'll have in a hospital the size of one municipal hospital which serves about 150,000 people you'll have six consultants so that means six specialists of my grade so in my own department in the UK we've got 10 specialists really in my own department in my my town so that gives you an, an understanding of of the enormous task that these people face and so a lot of the care is delivered not not by the doctors, but by nurse specialists. Right. And so a lot of our training is aimed at upskilling them. So it's what we call, a term we call, which many people will be aware of, capacity building. Yeah. Uh, on an individual and institutional level to help the individuals and the institutions function, be function better uh, to, provide, to provide better care. So yes, we, we had a wonderful time. We made good progress in those two departments. We also had a gift of sight program. So as right. you know, gift of sight is yeah. another work stream of Humanity First International and its subsidiary partners. Um, and we partnered with a local group of eye surgeons and we did 300 eye operations as well. So that was a uh, fantastic bonus. I know uh, Aslam Daud was saying, telling me yesterday about um in one of the countries, there's 22,000 people signed up for cataracts in the queue. I think it might be Nigeria. Nigeria. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So that shows you the demand that's out there, isn't it? That mm. um, you know that we we can have, have a sort of an obligation to go and 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 that's a, one of the challenges to try and find um, what's the what's the best back, you know because we can do oh, we could do ENT, we can do uh, you know um, childcare, we can do eyes. Where should we spend the money? It's quite a challenge, quite an onerous responsibility on us. It, and, and I mean, Dr. Fasan, how do you um, determine? Is it a case on who have you got going out on the operation that determines, or is it what the locals need? What, how do you balance those two? Yeah, I think what Dr. Uzzer had so nicely uh, said is really is driven by the local needs, and it's a partnership always with local providers who want to perhaps increase capacity in, in, in a certain area or subject. And that's exactly the genesis of how our program for laparoscopy came. Um, it's interesting, you, laparoscopic surgery is sort of the pinhole surgery where you know you just make small cuts to do right. operations which you traditionally would make large incisions on the abdomen. And it was very interesting when we started this program 15 years ago that um, a Ghanaian surgeon said to us, you know, we were actually doing a lot of inguinal hernia training back then. They said, you know, that's great. We appreciate the, the training uh, in mesh, but we really want to do laparoscopic surgery. And for us, as sort of trained in, in the United States and in Europe, it seemed like, well, that felt counterintuitive. Do, why do they want laparoscopic surgery? But when we sat down and had the detailed discussions with them, they said, our patients need laparoscopic surgery more than you. If they don't get back to work immediately the next day or the day after, the family's not going to eat. Right. And so I think, understand, you know, it's that conversation that so is a very important principle of Humanity First that we, we sit with our local partners. And so this course, the Humanity First laparoscopic course, the course that we have for ultrasound, uh, and now we recently did CPR and first aid training, it really was as part of these conversations. And it's really a model of training others. Mm. It's not about going, yes, we do just exactly as we mentioned, I myself also, we, we participate in service delivery, i.e. doing operations. Yeah. But it's really about enhancing capacity, teaching the skills so that they can really strengthen their own health system. Yeah. I mean, um, I know that um, our Gambian team, we have a very good relationship with the, uh, the, the Minister of Health. And I know that uh, in Turkey, we were told yesterday about uh, the, the, the Turkish earthquake, where I think it was the Minister of Health came yeah. and, and saw the work that was done and, and gave the permission for uh, us to stay on as a healthcare unit. Puzzle, I mean, is that uh, working with the sort of Minister of Health across international departments? Is that, uh, those relationships are important, right? They're very important. Fizan knows that I was introducing them to uh, the Minister of Health in Tanzania and Zanzibar. Uh, in the case of Gambia, for example, Dr. Samate knows this very well. I was with him a year ago. I had one of my team with him three months ago. And what they like is the fact that, you, you know, humanity first has evolved. So 25 years ago, we would have volunteers and based on who was available, 
we would then get them out to a country of their choice to do what they do. Mm. Whereas we've flipped it so that we're now looking at needs-based. And in fact, we've gone further than that. The big challenge in many of these low-income regions, and I'm sure Fizan and Azar have both seen this, is there's a shortage of trained clinicians, mm. doctors, surgeons, anaesthetists, midwives. And when they do get trained, they get lapped up by Europe and North America. And again, you've got a, a dearth of trained people. So this is the biggest challenge. The fact that we are sending people out for free and training them in the latest techniques and staying in touch with them is, is gold dust. So for Dr. Samate, for example, in Gambia, he knows the number of people that have been trained in paediatric and neonatal care. He knows the work that we've been doing on reconfiguring emergency services and emergency pathways. And that's why whenever our team goes, he will, he will see us at a drop of a hat. And it's the same in many, many other countries. And in terms of um, when you take a team out there, obviously many of our members are members of the, uh, of the Amity Muslim Association because uh, they're sort of you know our first port of call. But I know, I know Dr. Hamad, for example, will take a lot of um, you know, you know, ethnically British or you know people of no faith, uh, and that's one thing that we welcome. You know, uh, working. You know, and, and providing them with a, an amazing opportunity to visit uh, countries around the world uh, and do that. And Fazan, what, what are, you, are you? What sort of percentage makeup are, are, are you able to take people from all? Oh yeah, we always do. In fact, I myself work at Northwestern University in Chicago at the Institute for Global Health this year, and most of the most of the fifteen, except for two or three of us, were affiliated with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. But most are affiliated with U American universities. So gotcha. we had representatives from Harvard University this year, Johns Hopkins, from Northwestern. So yes, a, a broad swath of folks of every diverse background. And, and how do they find it? I, my sons actually went to Gambia and stayed at the Masur Center. And for them, it was a very <laughs> eye-opening experience living in a very sort of um, humble accommodation. But I imagine for, but because they understood that that was, um, they were produced, not, um, they were going to pay to school. They were. They're not going to be doing doing life saving operations. But for your team, uh, you know, they're living in Ghana. They're in a nice area. It's not. A, 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 they're not having that living in tents, living in the field. Or are they? Maybe. Maybe yeah, they are. Yeah. So the team this year also went to Liberia. And okay. So actually, uh, we also stopped in Liberia, and Liberia is a little bit more modest yep. than Ghana, and there definitely were some challenging situations. But it gives you an idea that not only did their residents not have water. But the hospital, the regional hospital, did the, there was a water problem, and they did not have water in the hospital for two days. So you can imagine, for all of us who work in high-income countries, to have a hospital without running water for two days, can you imagine the extraordinary challenges that So that this is bottled water, did? you know? To oh, just, just yes, yeah, so they revert to stored water, bottled water, but it's very challenging, you can imagine. You can't, you know, you can't, everything from you know cleaning rooms to you know cleaning s supplies i mean it's just it's everything comes to a grinding halt so our team experienced that um one of the younger people on the team when he got back uh, to the united kingdom was staying at a very modest hotel and said oh this is a five-star hotel <laughs> <laughs> i'm never going to complain about <laughs> my water not being hot enough again exactly you know, my wi-fi is a bit wonky yes, it'll never be a problem yes, you know exactly. well i think that's that's lovely isn't yeah. it because uh, and, and that's one of the maybe you know, Medicine Sans Frontieres and some of these other um, organizations that take medical um, staff and do emergency operations. Maybe they're, would they be doing field stuff? They would be living out in, out in a sort of disaster zone. I imagine that for our Ukraine team, you know, they were having a similar challenge. I don't know, uh, I didn't get to Medica, but they, were, they closed it by the time I was going. I was, I was going to go, and then the Polish authorities pulled the plug on it. But uh. I mean, there are a lot of good charities out there. MSF do absolutely amazing work. But you see, one, one of the differences with MSF is that they, have, they often have full-time staff who right. haven't been in mainstream healthcare for two, three, four, five years, whereas we're taking people who are at the cutting edge, the leading edge, bringing the latest techniques to to theatres of operation in low-income countries and training on that, mm. and that is unique. Yeah, I, I mean, it, but sometimes you go there and you're, you're, you're teaching someone on a machine that you haven't seen since 1998, or is it, are you going back in time when you're doing that, or was there equipment 
fine. It's training. I mean, or is that a generalization? No, that's a really important issue you've brought up. So we actually do our training when we go to Accra for laparoscopy in a Johnson & Johnson built facility. That equipment is almost 20 years old, really? but the fundamentals of laparoscopic surgery, thank goodness, they haven't changed, right. so we are able to use that same equipment. We actually end up operating on pigs and do the practice the operations with the local clinicians okay. on the pigs, and we, in fact, even bring our own veterinarian. So I think that we just find that middle ground and we strike that balance to make it all happen. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, it's probably as... So this is where we often talk about who's, who's benefiting more. Our volunteers go out there. They get a different. They get something from the experience too. Oh, of course. It's not just about us teaching. We are learning constantly, and we're improving techniques. And many, if you look at actually some of the most revolutionary public health interventions that were that were sort of promoted in the United States, actually were also developed in low and middle income countries. So again, we're also constantly learning from our partners and colleagues. And is there a similar situation with uh, medicines and a lack of you're having to maybe. I mean, maybe the pigs are a bad example because yeah, they're, they're using a different medicines as a, as a, you know, did you find that, that, that you know, that the, in the UK, you would have this enormous pharmaceutical, um, you know, warehouse full of things that you could prescribe, whereas you go to Ghana, Gambia, Liberia, you know, you would be restricted rather. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, restricted in many ways. Um, the local population have very poor access to a variety of medications, which we take for granted. Um, and they often are not available in the hospital and they have to therefore go out into the local community and buy them and clearly they don't have the financial resources to do that and therefore they elect not to do so and they get into a vicious cycle whereby their conditions just worsen. Um, so that was a big challenge uh, for us and there's only so much we can do about taking out medications with us. Because you, um, you, you'd end up if you gave someone a, they needed six months course and you, yeah. you know, who do you choose? You're playing God with a lowercase g. Sure. So you, you have to think about what are your most effective interventions going to be and probably taking out, you know, a large cache of medications is, is maybe not your best intervention. And so, so as Dr. Fazan Saab has said earlier on about upskilling people and giving them the skills that they need to practice at a higher, more efficient level. Mm to get people back into work and that is such a key thing with people living in Ghana that you know they can't afford to be blind yes they can't afford to have cataracts they can't afford to have hernias they've got to get back to work they've got to earn because every member of the family has to be an earning member so a lot of your interventions uh, depend on understanding that knowledge from the local HF teams and then you know modifying what you do in, in accordance with that yeah no no, no. It's, a, it, it's a big challenge Fuzzle, let's talk about, um, you know, I know that you've been roaming the uh, roaming uh, the world. Well, tell us some of your experiences uh, that uh, this year. Where, where have you been? Well, this year I haven't been to Africa. Or maybe your son has been. Your, yeah, tell us about your son's trips, rather. <laughs> well, my sons have been to Ghana uh, since, last, uh, since this time last year. They went to the Upper East region, so Waliwale, Nalerigu, Gambaga, that area. Um, interestingly... I'm working on a number of, so my day job is building hospitals in Africa and Asia. And one of the other challenges that we, which I'm sure these two characters would affirm, is that you can't rely on the Ministry of Health to supply the right equipment. You know, they'll go to equipment fairs and think, they've got one of those, I want one of those. And so I also have been visiting some of the manufacturing plants. I went to Erlangen recently to visit the Siemens manufacturing. I went to Amersham here in the UK to visit GE Healthcare and the new innovation that they're doing. And they, you know, whilst they've got an amazing array of say diagnostic equipment, MRI, CT, PET CT, you name it. The thing is, what out of that range is appropriate for a low income region? A, you know, for an MRI, can you replace the helium when you're out in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. Or should you go for a helium-free or reduced helium solution? Um, what is the technical ability of the radiographers and the people that are going to be using the equipment in the regions, like in so you, right? So if you if you have a, a, a you know you can have the best bit of kit, but it suddenly it stops functioning because of, uh, of 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 lack of maintenance, or the person doing the analysis 
does not have the skills. We, we, know, we need to make sure that their investments are wise, yeah. that mm. they're going to deliver the right results. I was talking recently, I'm working on a project in Angola, in Rwanda, and they were after robotic surgery. They were after robotic pharmacy, and they're just not capable of managing that. So I managed to persuade them not to. <laughs> but you know, they could have spent millions and ended up with you know, an albatross that is burning a hole. And if you're not using things, you know, even simple things like when these guys are doing surgery, the surgical instruments go into a sterilization unit, CSSD, to be cleaned, sterilized, packaged so for the next surgical procedure. Now, if you look at many countries, they don't have the right water to, to, to sterilize. feed those machines, right. or they haven't trained the people. I saw a BO3 lab, it's a laboratory which is in Koto in Gambia, where they had set up a new lab, they had the autoclaves ready for the lab, they didn't open the door for six months. Guess what? When they did try to, it didn't work. Right. And it was out of warranty. So it's very important to have the right equipment, fit for purpose, not just for the clinical environment and what you're planning to do with it, but the abilities of the people. Bizarre. Yeah, I could tell you a story or two in the same regards where we actually, again, we're doing laparoscopic training, so we actually certainly track and see what's happening in some of these countries. I won't say which country, but a country uh, that we are tracking laparoscopic surgery equipment recently purchased $2 million, exactly to your point, $2 million in laparoscopic equipment, and it's been positioned at hospitals where obviously there were local uh, you know, advocates or politicians or that, that wanted to see this equipment reach those hospitals and that's where the equipment went. But there was nobody there yeah. that was able to use it, etc. In contrast, I'll give you the example with the partnership we have with Humanity First Ghana, Al-Haji Farouk and uh, Javad and others who are really close partners in Humanity First Ghana. We just donated about $20,000 of supplies including two ultrasound machines on behalf of Humanity First USA and the MD Muslim Medical Association USA. And not only did we donate those $8,000 in ultrasound machines, we also provided training. So I can tell right. you that, that those two machines are going to impact many, many more yeah. patients than $2 million donations in other countries. You know, yeah. right? And so I think that's the kind of value proposition that Humanity First provides. And, and, it, and is it that we need to go out? There's, a, there's an argument of, um, you know, the, uh, the, the 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 white saviour goes out. You know, I'm I'm conscious that uh, you know I speak as an English <laughs> English person here as well, but the brown saviour as well. It, it, do you find sure. that uh, you know how do we handle that side of things? Uh, and it and especially they might t not take kindly to being told which idiot bought this two million dollars worth of equipment. You know, but it's it's frank conversations and, and being able to do that. Yeah, I think I think those kinds of issues only come up when we lose our course and our direction. Mm. The true north for all of these efforts is the name of humanity first. It's yeah. about putting the patients and the families first and what we can do to make improve people's lives and outcomes. And so if we keep that as a true north, as a principle to make every decision, all the decisions will be made properly. Yeah, I suppose I'm thinking about um, places where uh, Humanity First has not been, uh, or you know, we're working with a, 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 a state in Africa, for example, and we know that we hear from the colleagues that we're working with that there has been these cases. And then we kind of, we have an onus on us to sort of like educate the Ministry of Ministry of Health and, and try to avoid these issues. Yeah, but so it, it's a challenge, right? To it, try is a, it is a challenge. I think part of that is just common sense respect. So for example, Humanity First USA, we really do operate behind Humanity First Ghana. I don't go to someone's country yeah. and really set any agenda, push anything. It's really, they're our hosts. Yeah. They help direct us, they guide us, They and, and we also, from the donor perspective, we work with the UK, I mean, all kidding aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. is my policy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he keeps denying it. This will it. rumble, this will rumble. <laughs> yes. We're gonna have to decide <laughs> but, <laughs> but but the, But that's important, because yeah. otherwise there's yeah. no sort of direction and there's no unity in our approach and, and unified approach. So somebody ne does need to have line of sight, for example, in all the medical activities that are happening in Ghana. I have played the role of medical director for Ghana in the past, yeah. so I know exactly how hard yeah. his job is. So the point yeah. is he does have to have line of sight. Yeah. In country, we work with Humanity First Ghana very, very cl closely. 
Alhaji Farouk, who's the chair of Humanity First Ghana, is actually here uh, as well. Um, so we're very close relationships over a long time, and we, we, we operate with those partners. And so those kinds of difficult discussions, we never have them. Yeah, It's actually the Humanity First Ghana folks gotcha. who are having them. Gotcha. And I think that, that, that there's that local ownership, isn't yes. it? That, that, you know, they're... That as taxpayers in a in, in the country, they have a right. And one of the things that you guys bring to the table is that well, this is how things to avoid. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that as I said, you know, you'll you'll it's maybe sometimes you'll have the, uh, the 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 training exercise, but sometimes those water cooler moments, you know, this is where these sort of things come up. The, you know, you'll have the meal afterwards and speak to the minister of, uh, minister of health, for example. I mean, I think you've been to other countries, right? You know, so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're quite right. Yeah. I, I have had the um, good fortune of going to the, the Gambia as well, and I think the approach of Humanity First is very similar in all of these countries, and it is not only being led by the local HF teams, but also um, working collaborative in collaboration with the health partners, um, who are delivering health there, uh, and and beginning to engage in those conversations as well. Although the local teams do do a lot of that. We are beginning to engage and try to direct them as well because, as has been stated earlier, sometimes um, their desire to have certain equipments or facilities for whatever political or other reasons may not equate well with, you know, what is actually required on the ground. So if we can influence that very uh, initial stage of conversation to say, well, look, you know, we worked with HF locally and this is what we see on the ground and this is what we recommend to you mm. as a direction and in that direction we can provide x y and z not only in terms of upskilling uh, your clinicians but also providing some sort of equipments so um yeah and and a lot of those things do come up in as you say conversations yeah. a- a- after work but they are becoming increasingly important and i'm finding that for us to make headway for example in ghana we, we have to begin to engage in those difficult conversations and try and go to the very top um and seek out people in the ministry of health um because you know we're fortunate because hf thankfully has a very good name in many parts of Africa now yeah. as you know so they are usually very very welcoming as, as has been said before in, in many parts I of Africa. I would hope that the you know the the, the Gambian finance uh, minister of uh, health who's talking to his yeah. you know neighbours and and and, and uh, message would come up one one question I have is that um, listeners of Voice of Islam may not all be ENT or uh, paediatric surgeons. They may just be sort of general, you know, nurses, paramedics, or or just logistical people. Mm. I mean, when you've got 15 people or 20 people on a a trip, um, how do you find it? Is is there a a need for people like that, you know, that could come forward? I mean, we sometimes have people like, well, I'd like to help, and I'm happy to go along, but um, is that a challenge, you know, to try and, you know, to get you know get people from other walks of it not just medical you know clinicians i don't think it's a challenge to get them uh, to be to be honest i think uh, increasingly over the last few years working with hf many people are coming forward saying they just they'd like to work with hf in some capacity or other and, and, and are not sure how they could you know help hf certainly in some of the medical streams clearly you need medical professionals yeah. there, there's no doubt there and yeah. so the gist of your work has to be a group of medical professionals who are focused on the work streams that you are developing. Mm. You can't get around that. Yeah. But then, yes, there are certain support staff that, that you, you may need. But as we've all alluded to, there are many other work streams yeah. of HF, such as Water for Life and yeah. Gift of Sight and, and, and so on and so forth, where many other individuals could get involved at different levels. So it's it's always important for people. People shouldn't sit back, is, is what yeah. I mean. If they feel they want to come forward, they should you know link in with a local HF uh, people who are working locally with HF and, and just express their interest. It's a lovely family holiday. Yeah. Our, our, you know, uh, <laughs> Hanif Khan, our, our Labour Labour Council, Labour sort of uh, uh, person from Hanslow, you know, took his whole family and painted a school. You know, what a yeah, lovely fantastic. family holiday. So we, we would urge our Voice of Islam listeners to uh, to contact your local HF representative and, and go to your family holiday and paint a school and or do some, you know, help at a water well for a couple of weeks or something. I don't know, maybe a bit flippant there, Fazan, but do you see that that um, you know there is a need and there's a you know you've seen it yourself where you know someone's coming along and helping you know if you're doing a, a whole line of, uh, a, 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 of of operations someone's got to 
you know, do some of the administrative work. Yeah, no, that's a critical part of our team. So I'll give you an example of this 15-member team. There was four surgeons, one anesthesiologist, one veterinarian, and one nurse, and everybody else, about half the team, was support okay. uh, folks. So oh, really, um, some are IT backgrounds, others doing logistics. So we really do depend on... Any beekeepers? <laughs> I'm joking about that. I'm joking. I'm joking. Quick plug for the Humanity First honey there, uh, available at your <laughs> local... Uh, <laughs> anyway, I so first of all, I, one question for you then is that, um, you know, I know that uh, you, you cover all of the international, so you're our conduit for all of that international news. And um, what are your some of your highlights from, from the sort of the last year or so, things that have uh, piqued your interest? So I think there's a lot of new infrastructure being worked on. You know, we've just built our second orphanage in Uganda. Um, we have, uh, we're working on another orphanage in Indonesia. We've done lots of water infrastructure, but coming back to healthcare, where all of this comes together is, you know, we've been talking at the moment about countries where we are supporting an existing health infrastructure, but we also run 10 of our own facilities. We're building another three. Mm. So in Ivory Coast, the UK are collaborating with Canada, yeah. Canada yeah. and our local team in Cote d'Ivoire yeah. to build a hospital in Yopogon-Jesco. And then- Shout out to- uh, And, and you know- Major Sobs, you know, sort of- Well, we've, we've almost, com we've completed the construction. We're yep. just finishing the MEP, the mechanical electrical plumbing, and then we're ready to start the equipping and then the recruitment, aiming to go live this time next year. Now that is where a cast of hundreds can be involved because when you're looking at the planning, when you're looking at the architectural design, the layout, when you're looking at the construction and the project management, the supervision, the quantity surveying and so on, when you're building a hospital, when you're then looking at the equipping, you know, it takes a, a, a big team mm. of specialists, even people who, you know, I've got someone at the moment who's planning to go out to West Africa. He's a trainee surgeon so he's not he, he wouldn't be allowed to, to practice in the nhs yet and he certainly wouldn't be allowed to go to africa and practice but he wanted to immerse himself and get yes, some experience of course. yeah so i've given him a project to go and do some information gathering you know when you're prioritizing what do we need in different regions you first need the data on how many you know what kind of conditions are we dealing with? What, what volumes of patients? What is the mortality for different types of conditions? If you don't know that, how do you know whether things have improved from your interventions? And we often struggle with that. So there are people who have an analytical background, an IT background, uh, or junior doctors who are going out and doing that. It gives them a chance to visit health facilities, ask a few questions, immerse themselves and understand if there are challenges, why is the mortality rate so high there compared mm. to there? And this, this is thing, you know, we didn't used to ask those questions as much, but I think we are now because it then allows us to, as you said, get the best bang for our buck by targeting the interventions where they're going to have the most effect. The Ivory Coast Hospital, obviously, it's, it's got its model in Guatemala. Yeah. Uh, and Sob's doing a fabulous job. You know, they're, they're, they're building from 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 uh, from the earth, rising this uh, this uh, amazing thing. I wonder what the model will be there. Will be, you know, obviously Guatemala's got a lot of Guatemalan paid staff. I mean, there was a talk at one point of having you know regular um, sort of surgical teams coming from UK, Canada, or or, or or wherever. Do you know what the situation is with that? No, for this to be sustainable. Uh, I know people threw a number of different ideas at me. I, w I got involved in this project in 2012. Mm. That's when I first started yeah. on the Ivory Coast project idea. Yeah. And to be honest, I think the things that are most exciting to the mayor of Yopagon, the area where we are constructing the hospital, and the health ministry and other you know senior officials is that A, we're trying to make it a teaching hospital. Right. And so it addresses the clinical capacity issue mm. in Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah. B, we, so, so we want to have Ivorian staff. Yeah. However, we want the Ivorian staff, A, to be attracted to work there. Yeah. And 
you know, part of that is they're going to have brothers and sisters in Canada, UK, possibly USA, acting as a faculty, yeah. training them, doing mm. skills transfer so that they stay ahead of the game. Mm. We could use things like medium fidelity simulation so that they can practice some of the nurse skills before they get to a real patient. This is value adding for clinicians in Cote d'Ivoire. Mm. Sending people from here on a rotation basis doesn't have that impact. I might be a, historically, maybe that was something that, that would, might have been, but, but yeah. the, we, what we want to do is, like in Guatemala, the US did a superb job on that. We want to have an Ivorian team. Mm. I've already been to places like Ajame and seen the setup there. We know what the salaries would be, we know what the expectations are, we know what the availability of clinical consumables are, medication are. So we know what is going to happen when we get to commissioning the hospital, but it's very much about having local staff that we train yeah. and empower and continue to train using this international faculty, which is a unique selling point of Humanity First. Yeah. I mean, so if, if any Voice of Islam listeners have uh, bought their brick for Ivory Coast, you know, they've uh, spent a thousand pounds on an Ivorian brick, maybe you might need to um, carry on dipping your uh, hand in your pocket for to, to help fund some of the... Because uh, at the beginning of the project, we're going to run at a deficit, right? As we build up our experience and the hospital goes live and, you know, the, the initial funding is going to take a while. Guatemala took a few years to come online, right? I, th I think there are a couple of interesting points here. The, you know, I, I get requests from Nigeria every week to build a, they call it a multi-specialty hospital. I would rather start small, mm. focus on a few specialties, be known for it, yeah. be good at it, yeah. and then you can expand. And this mm. is what USA have done superbly well in their projects. UK are going to be doing exactly the same here. Um, so, you know, across Africa, maternity, neonatal, pediatric care, and basic mm. orthopedic surgery, those are the staples. Ophthalmology, you know, cataract eye surgery as well, dental we can yeah. do. But, you know, we're not going to be doing cardiac surgery. Yeah. We're not going to be doing oncology. We, we need to do less but do it well. Yeah. The other key point is that who is our target market is really important. So if you look at Abidjan, which is the capital of Côte d'Ivoire, and the hospital is on the northwest outskirts of Abidjan, we're going to be targeting private clientele, so the middle got class? Middle class, yeah. yeah. So we've got good quality. The location is on the highway heading out to Boaké. It's in a good location. This beautiful building. It's going to have great uh, infrastructure and equipment, good quality clinicians. And so we will attract private patients. But that's not our target market. That's a means to an end. Yeah. It's the private patients that make it sustainable. Yeah. The income that we generate, just as we have done in Guatemala, will then be used to reach the target market, which is in the Abobo slums. Right. Yeah. Those are people who cannot afford care, often get wrong advice to go for a caesarean when they don't need it. Mm. And a caesarean out there is seven to eight months income. So wow. they get landed in poverty just through the wrong advice. We want to make sure that, as I said, do less, but do it well. Make mm. sure we've got the anaesthetist there, the many, most of the hospitals in that area, they don't have the anaesthetist. So if a woman needs an epidural, sorry, you can't. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure we do less, but do it properly, build our reputation and use the income so that we can fully subsidize people who wouldn't be able to afford that kind of care. Talking of maternity, we've got an out maternity hospital in, uh, in Cambodia, as I understand. In Kampot, yes. Kampot, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I mean, I was in Cambodia last year and uh, it's a fascinating country and in terms of sort of value it's a, a sort of cheaper place uh, to, to, to live and to sustain and I wonder whether that's a good use of our money um, some of the countries that we work in um, we're able to build a hospital because it's you know you wouldn't want to build a hospital in say the U you know you're not you need to in the UK but for example in, in a developed country much more expensive uh, operation to, to to build from scratch whereas Ivory Coast for example we are able to take money and the money will go further because we're in that sort of uh, in a sort of sensible sensible so, price so just to explain that a clinic in Kampot in Cambodia is not a full acute hospital it's a maternity and midwifery center yeah. it's built on stilts because 
because the area gets flooded yeah. a lot. Yeah. Right. So just like with Bangladesh, yeah. you know, if you build it on the ground, it's going to be flooded and not a lot's going to happen. Yeah. But the main purpose is to provide through term for a mother, you know, uh, care. You know, they can do ultrasound. They can manage a patient, the mother, all the way through term. But also the midwives are going to be doing outreach. Yeah. This is so important. I'm sure these two gentlemen have seen this in Africa. Many women will think, I'll have a home birth in my village. I won't go to the centre. And the rates of maternal mortality, women dying in childbirth, are ridiculously high still. Because when they get an infection with the level of hygiene and sanitation, they will die mm. of postpartum hemorrhaging. Mm. How do we get over that? Part of the job in Cambodia is our midwives are going to be doing outreach to the villages in Kampot region. They will be assessing, they'll be doing triage with the patients. Women who are diabetic are at a higher risk, so they will be keeping an eye on them. Uh, but they'll also be uh, providing information to the mothers that this is why mm -hmm. going to a proper birthing center is so much better, so much safer. Yes, it might mean a slightly longer journey for yeah. you, but it's worth it yeah, and that's yeah. part of our job is education and, and talking of education I know that um, shout out to Farquhar Richardson and her ladies team that went to Kenya and did the a whole menstrual uh, you know project there so that's a fabulous uh, initiative and you know our ladies I know did a fabulous job and I think there'll be more of that in terms of you know improving um, knowledge throughout because it's you know some of these taboo subjects it's high time that you know we you know, we sort of use our education. So I think that, that was one of my highlights. Uh, Vazan, what are your highlights for next year? Looking forward, if I can, for the last sort of 10 minutes as we roll through. Have you got, where are you, any plans or your projects for the, the, the USA? Yeah, so I think we really have been trying to enhance our collaboration with our Ghanaian partners. The medical director of Humanity First Ghana, Dr. Majid Al-Hassan, he's an orthopedic surgeon. We already had some discussions about next year, of course, we already are going to continue the laparoscopic ultrasound. And this year we actually added CPR and first aid training. That was immensely popular. Mm. We trained 118 wow. uh, people at Suedro Hospital to do that. But next year we're really thinking about, um, you know, combining this kind of a, a, an educational trip where we're doing multiple conferences with some exchange. Be actually this past year had the privilege of hosting Dr. Frida Wilson who's one of the OBGYNs from Ghana in the United States at our annual medical association conference in the US. And that exchange was very fruitful in terms okay. of our lady physicians, particularly who became very close and passionate about the projects that, that Dr. Frida Wilson was advocating. It made us realize that we need to cross fraternize and, and really think about collaborations in an enhanced way. So already, even with Dr. Azar, we've been discussing how can we on a multi, you know, multi-country, multi-disciplinary perspective, have more of a meeting ground, perhaps in Ghana next year. So not just you do the training and education courses, but have a simultaneous medical education meeting where we can again exchange knowledge and information. And disaster uh, relief work. Uh, do you ever get involved in that, or that's sort of not your not your bag? No, it's my origins actually. Okay. NHF. I was privileged <laughs> to be uh, the, the one of the first people deployed in Hurricane Katrina back oh, way wow, back when. Wow. Um, and I and since that's been well, that was my initial touch point. Even perhaps when I met Fuzzle. Uh, many many years ago, around that same deployment, but eight, I mean, as you know, you know, disaster response is part of the major pillars of HF, and we I hope not do, to do it. Yes, we hope, we hope not, not to do it. To do it but, but Humanity First Ghana is active in that, as is of course HF UK and the HF USA. But yes, I don't do that as my day to day yeah, job. Yeah, no, let's let's fingers crossed. We you know we have enough of those. We've you know this year has been a sort of um, you know the earthquake was uh, we touched on a little bit earlier as well. Does it, as I said, what's your got any? Grand plans next few years? Yeah, so um, we are looking to expand our work in, in Ghana. And uh, as Dr. Fasan Saba said, we're, we are looking to work more collaboratively to see how we That's can benefit good. the local populations. There are uh, opportunities opening up for us. So although we work in a small municipal hospital, we are looking to open up some working opportunities at the regional tertiary sort of or secondary referral center where there'll be um, opportunities for more subspecialized work in pediatrics and neurosurgery and ENT or surgically based work so mm. we're looking forward to that we're also I'm also looking at a, uh, an area of work um, which revolves around um, loss of hearing particularly in young, young children and the provision of hearing aids so just linked up with a couple of audiologists here we're, we're looking at 
uh, how we can impact that in the future. Um, well, as a radio station, we welcome the, you know, the, the, the hearing. As I <laughs> yeah. speak with uh, someone yeah. with a hearing deficiency myself, so you yes. know, I'm always delighted. I think it's yeah. maybe maybe under under resourced in in Africa. One would it imagine is. it is, and as we've alluded to before, people who um, lose these sort of senses. Uh, the problem that they have, that they face particularly in Africa, is is that they can't contribute to the family's income. Mm. Uh, and so they're an immediate burden to the family, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, and therefore, if we can impact on that in some way, then it, it, it can be transformational. And additionally, virtual teaching, as we've alluded to before, we have started a virtual teaching program in Ghana. And because we can only go at certain times during the year, we need to maintain the momentum of teaching between times. Yeah. And so we've got this virtual teaching program, which hopefully intends to run every week or every couple of weeks, where we're trying to retain and maintain those skills and also answer questions. And, yeah, a question and, and answer, yeah. you know, effectively, you know, I, I, well, I, you taught me this and yeah. my, my, my experience is, you know. And hopefully setting up virtual clinics. So yeah. The idea is eventually to have virtual clinics, subspecialist virtual clinics, where we can get a specialist from the USA or the UK to sit down and answer questions or look at the difficult cases in that subspecialty area. So HFAI. That's yeah, a, is that, well, that's possibly. The <laughs> I'm not sure about that <laughs> title, but, <laughs> but yeah, a lot, lot of opportunities. Oh, uh, God willing. Yeah, that's good. Fuzzle, what? And you yourself? Have you got? Um, you know, what, what, what can we expect from Fuzzle? So the two or three areas that I'm very interested in. One, these, these guys are alluding to telemedicine and teleproctoring. This is growing area in medicine, and not only could you do virtual clinics, but for the people that these guys are training, staying in touch with them. And let's say they do some imaging and they've got an X-ray of a patient and they're not sure if it's that case or something different, mm. being able to view that remotely and guide them, that's, that's a growing area. Um, mm. uh, the second area is simulation and training. And there's growing demand and use of, um, you know, in the old days, our teams, you know, let's say from the UK, they used to do a lot of training in Uganda and it was, basic mannequins and they would do compressions and this that and the other now you can actually get medium high fidelity uh, simulation mannequins where you know which are african mannequins oh right and you can program them from a tablet to say i want them to you know show symptoms of malaria oh, really? or covid or oh, ebola no. you can have fever you know feverish patients you can have lumps appearing you can have you know, when they're trying to do the ABC, I learned this stuff from these guys, you know, the ABCDE, when you're trying to look at airway, breathing. Doctor, you know. Doctor ABC, I've done it. I've yeah. Done it. yeah. And, and, you know, you can actually program a mannequin, a medium high fidelity mannequin to have problems with breathing. And, and you're testing the patients then. So this is a growing area, which I think will be quite exciting in the area of clinical capacity building in Africa. Yeah. The last thing is, of course, we're still building more hospitals. So we're building, uh, we're looking, the USA team are uh, about to start a project in Tanzania. Uh, in Indonesia, they've acquired, they're looking at the land to build a 50 bedded hospital now in Yogyakarta. And we're expanding our existing hospital in Guatemala. And yesterday I was in discussions with our team in Nigeria about expanding and making more use of our clinic in Okuku. So, you know, even where we have centres, we're looking to land and expand, do more, do it better, and so on. Fabulous. Well, we've had a very medical orientated hour. We did touch on the food bank in Warsaw, so shout out to all of our Midlands listeners that uh, if you're in the Warsaw area and you know a family uh, that could, could do with some help, please call into the Warsaw Food Bank and, and, and drop in your food or even volunteer your help. If, if you're not a paediatrician or an ENT surgeon but you, you're able to uh, help out in the store, we're always welcome uh, to, to pop in. Well, we're going to wrap this session up and uh, we'd like to thank all our listeners at Voice of Islam and, and again, if you've got any ideas or any uh, inspiration uh, and you'd like to come forward like I say there's those uh, Ivory Coast bricks aren't going to buy themselves so you know please come forward so we'd like to thank everyone this is uh, Serving Mankind from Humanity First we're signing off for another show thank you very much God bless thank you thank you